Hello, this is episode 210. Now in this episode, I'm continuing on from our last episode, 209, where we're answering the question, how do you know that you don't just need a draftsperson or building designer, but you should use an architect instead? When should you definitely use an architect versus other industry professionals? And when will a draftsperson or even a builder suffice for the design of your project? Now, if you haven't had the chance to listen to the previous episode, stop now, go back, listen to part one. It's going to help this episode make a lot more sense. You can come back to this episode then uh, and I'll, you know, it'll be here waiting for you when you're ready. Remember as well, I've created a full transcript of this episode. It's also got information about other helpful links and resources related to this topic. You can grab that as a free PDF download by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 210. That's the numbers 210. So be sure to do that. You can file it away and you can uh, revisit and review it as needed. Now, let's dive in. Welcome to the Get It Right podcast. I'm your host, Amelia Lee from Undercover Architect. With over 25 years industry experience, I've worked with loads of homeowners like you to create family homes that work, feel great, and that you feel great in. I'm a wife and a mum to three kids who, thanks to our own renovations, they all learned to climb ladders before they walked. And I'm a registered architect who is passionate about you feeling informed, educated, and empowered as you design, build, or renovate your home. Now, if you're up for some frank and open conversation about the true nitty gritty of designing, building and renovating based on professional and personal experience across hundreds and hundreds of homes, well, you're in the right place. Undercover Architect is an award-winning online business and resource that began in mid-2014. And it's all about teaching you how to create a fantastic, feel-good family home. One that works for you now and into the future one that is sustainable and affordable and that helps you live a great lifestyle both in and beyond your home. So whether you're renovating or building, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget, consider Undercover Architect your secret ally in helping and teaching you how to get it right. Now before we jump into this podcast episode, a quick shout out to my sponsors. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by me and my free online workshop, Your Project Plan. I actually created this online workshop because I so regularly see a lot of time and money get wasted in renovation and building projects. And this happens largely because homeowners just don't know what they're supposed to be doing next. So that makes it really easy to make missteps, to take the wrong advice, or to actually skip important parts of your project that will catch you out down the track or worse, mean that you miss out on things that you really wanted in your home. Learn how to avoid serious and expensive mistakes, what to do next, whatever stage you're at in your project, and also access some great bonuses too by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. And that's project plan spelled P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. That's undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan take the guesswork out of the next steps you need to take in your project journey and sign up today for free for this great online workshop. And now let's get on with the episode. Here we go. When I speak to homeowners about this question of who they should use for their project, I know many would really like a formulaic response that makes it really simple to know which professional you should choose. And anytime I see it asked on the online forums as well, you know, people often ask, answer it like there is a simple black and white process to choosing. However, with all the years that I've been in this industry, I just know that 
you know, the process because of the process of building and renovating, even in the smaller and the partial projects, it's such a personal one. And I know that people value things differently and they have different priorities and values. And so it's just not as simple as saying, you know, if you're doing project X, then you should choose professional Y. However, there is a certain structure that you can use to guide your decision making. And in the last episode, I took you through a few of the steps of that structure, the first steps that you can use so that you can think about your needs and how that might help you determine who you'll need. And in that episode, I also talked about the difference between the different design professionals that you can work with. And the differences, you know, they do relate to their training and their qualifications, but they also relate to how they physically approach the process of design versus just physically and simply drawing floor plans for you. I also discussed in the range of how they will charge for their services and uh, talked about the fact that architects won't always be the most expensive to use. And I shared the scope of services that a design professional can provide and the fact that even with the same design profession such as architects, you know, you'll find architects who will deliver all parts of a full service and then you'll find architects who don't want to or who will not do a great job of delivering all of the parts. I also mentioned in that episode that designing a home is not the same as drawing a home. Uh, It's also worth mentioning that project management and overall coordination and communication through a project, that requires a very different skill set to the skill set of designing a new home or renovation. And often when I hear disappointment from homeowners in their work with a design professional, it's because they've sourced someone based on their design skills, but then they didn't do effective due diligence on that professional's project management skills. And so they've got a fantastic design, but the project's fallen over in execution and coordination of the overall process and vice versa can happen as well. They can have a fantastic project manager who just can't nail the design. So remember all of this, okay, when you're interviewing design professionals and especially when thinking about the range of things that you might be hoping that they'll support you in. Now, let's have a look at some of the other ways of determining whether to use an architect, a building designer uh, or a draft person in your project or even just going straight to a builder. And I'm going to dive into the most common factor that I see people often use to decide. And that's firstly, does your project budget make the decision for you? There's a much held belief that if you have a small budget, then an architect is off limits uh, and that architects aren't interested in projects unless they're over a certain budget threshold or a certain amount of work. I would actually like to blow this perception right out of the water, please, because as an architect, I know I've personally worked on projects with budgets of $30,000 right through to the budgets over $2 million at the same time. Okay, I've been doing both ends of the spectrum at the same time. And I've provided design services for pergolas and carports and kitchen renovations as much as I provided design services for multi-million dollar projects. And I know that I'm not alone. I know that there are lots of architects out there who are like this. Now, of course, there are some architects who have shaped their business model based on only working on specific project types. And like with any business model, you know, some architects have figured out what their ideal project is that they know that they do well. And, you know, budget may be one of the criteria involved in defining their ideal project type. And there may also be some architectural practices which will be structured so that, you know, smaller projects or lower budget projects will be mainly delivered by more junior staff. And those junior staff will be overseen by the senior architect or the owner of the business. But the smaller projects are used as an opportunity to build the experience of more junior staff and also to help 
you know, by having junior staff working on them, they can help with the cost effectiveness of delivering those projects as well. This is the interesting thing about design and project services, though. There's going to be a point where just because your project has a smaller budget, it's not necessarily going to cost less for a business to deliver the services on it. And that's why you'll see a sliding scale with percentage fees. You know, in that when the budget's lower, the higher the percentage is that's used. So you might find that, for example, there's a $200,000 budget and the fee might be 13, 15, 16%. But as the budget increases, say to $800,000, a million dollars, you know, that percentage fee may drop to 11, 10, 9%, you know, or less for full services. It really, it is a bit of a bell curve in terms of the, not a bell curve, an exponential curve in terms of the parabolic. That's the one I'm looking for. Is that right? <laughs> there used to be a fee chart that the Institute of Architects had uh, for this and then it was banned from use because of it was seen as anti-competitive. So, um, but yeah, it was an exponential curve. Now, in the early days of Undercover Architect, I personally, I was offering a fixed fee for design concept work. I've, I've always disliked percentage fees and so I've always done fixed fees for my services. Now, when I was first beginning with Undercover Architect and working remotely with people, I would just focus on the design concept part itself. And I had a process where I worked um, on a whole sort of product, like a package of design concepts and working with homeowners in a, in a specific way. And what I found was really interesting in that was that, you know, I had people from all over the, the country and globally reaching out to me to work with me on their design concepts with all different kinds of budgets. And the fees for my services were fairly standardized um, because I found that at that design concept level, kind of the similar amount of work was required, whether you had a small budget or a big budget, you know, to spend. So the interesting thing in that was that, you know, I had people who had budgets of over a million dollars think that my fees were expensive um, and didn't want to use me. And then I had people who had budgets of, you know, $400,000 or less, where my fee would end up being a much higher percentage of their overall budget, think that they were getting really, really great value. Uh, fees, professional fees, they are an exercise in value perception. And because, you know, what you're, you're going to value will vary from what someone else does. And what you consider expensive is also going to vary as well. I personally think that the tighter that your budget is, the less wiggle room that you have, the more worthwhile it is to invest in great quality expertise and experience to stretch that budget as far as it can go. I remember Kevin McLeod actually saying that he often sees big budgets by lazy design because people can pay their way out of trouble and mistakes. And I definitely agree as well that bigger budgets can often create a lot of just-in-case space and added elements instead of actually making the homework really hard and be super functional. I've spoken on the podcast before about the science and the research behind constraint forcing far greater creativity. It's the more constrained, you know, that something is, the more it can create innovative solutions. And so sometimes you need to invest in someone if you're dealing with a lot of constraint in budget, you know, in project size, whatever it is. You sometimes need to invest in someone who has really great skills in creativity and design to realise the potential of a really constrained project. Now, that being said, I completely understand that it can be challenging for you to look at this bucket of money that you have for your whole project and then see a good chunk of that go to professional fees instead of into the build itself. So this is always going to be a case of you determining where value lies for you and how you want to distribute the way that you spend your project budget. 
I just want you to know though that just because your budget is small, I don't want you to think that good design is off limits to you. You know, good design can and should be accessible for all. It just may require some innovation for you to access it or reconsideration of the distribution of your project budget over your project. Architects though, (laughs) they don't have the monopoly on good design, but it's definitely a case of ensuring that you review and interview design professionals with an understanding of good design. You know, get yourself upskilled in what good design looks like and uh, it'll give you a better chance of assessing what a professional's expertise actually is. I find too that there's also a perception out there that architects are just going to be more likely to blow your budget. And so if you have a tight one, then they're not going to be the best professional to work with because people often think that they're going to over-design something beyond what you can afford. This can happen though with any design professional. It's, you know, architects, again, they don't have the monopoly on blowing design budgets. So if your budget is super tight with no wiggle room, but you've decided to invest in good quality design help for your project because you want to maximise what's possible for your spend, then build safety, okay, around your budget into your process. Build in other mechanisms that are going to support your budget checking along the way. It might be through something like the pack process or a quantity surveyor's involvement. It is very rare that any design professional, not just architects, it's so rare that they are a reliable source of budget management and costing information. Now, the next question to ask yourself, okay, as part of this framework of making the decision of who's going to be the best fit is, are you making structural changes? Does your project require structural changes? So if you're doing a project, for example, where you're renovating and you plan to knock out a wall or two, you want to cut holes in your existing house, you want to add on some space or even another story, there's only one professional who can legally advise on structural design and that's a structural engineer. Not a builder, not an architect, not a building designer or a draftsperson and definitely not an interior designer. So speak to a structural engineer, okay, about any structural changes that you're planning on making. Now, if you are planning on making structural changes to your home, What that can often mean is that can also bring about spatial changes and the rearrangement of rooms and the overall layout of your home. And that may extend to changes in the roof forms and that can also bring about changes to guttering and water flow. You might also be changing how connections are happening between inside and outside as well. And, you know, even, for example, where your home is being entered from and how the whole entry process works. So it becomes important to access design help that actually enables you to strategize the best outcome for these structural changes with someone who's going to be able to work closely with the structural engineer to incorporate those structural modifications into a great design result. Whoever you're getting that design help from, you want them to be able to see beyond the initial, you know, your conversation of, we want to remove this wall. You want them to be talking about the overall flow and functionality of your home and how that structural change could enhance it. They might even suggest an alternative idea to you pulling out the wall that you've been thinking about that is actually going to achieve a similar outcome more cost effectively or with a far better result. I find it's really rare that a home exists, you know, with two perfectly shaped spaces sitting side by side and there's just a wall that exists between them and it's simply just a case of removing that wall to make the home's design sing overall. However, if you do have one of these kinds of homes, it's really just about knocking out the wall in between. Then a structural engineer is going to be your first stop to check the structural implications. And then you may find that you can just go straight to a drafts person or a builder to get the remaining work done on any documentation you might need. 
you will, of course, you know, even with just pulling out a wall between two spaces, you're going to need to figure out what you'll do with wall finishes, with floor finishes, ceiling finishes, you know, making good where the wall's been removed, looking at skirtings and cornices so that the, you know, the new connected rooms will actually work well as an overall space. You might find that sometimes an interior designer can be helpful at this point to give some detailed input into those types of decisions, particularly if you're having to connect sort of two disparate, disconnected types of finishes or details that two pre- previously two separate spaces um, in adjacent rooms, but you want to connect them together. You know, interior designer might be able to help you with some great detail resolutions that don't involve you having to replace absolutely everything. Now, next question to ask yourself is, you know, do you have some tricky planning regulations or heritage aspects or do you have challenging site conditions? Some sites and projects, they can just have a raft of challenging aspects and it may be that your local council is going to have specific requirements that will take some skill and experience to navigate. Coming up with an achievable on-budget solution, it may actually need some creative thinking and it also may benefit from an existing relationship with your council or a professional having knowledge of your council's way of working. That can also be helpful. Now, if you have heritage restrictions on your property or you have specific site conditions with, say, bushfire or flood conditions or other constraints, this may also impact the selection of your preferred design professional. Some designers and draftspeople, even though they do this type of work for a living, they can really struggle with thinking in three dimensions. I've seen this time and time again. And uh, and struggle with thinking about the pragmatics of construction and access on site as well. You know, I know personally, every time I've done a design for a steep site, it's required, you know, a lot of uh, me interrogating the driveway configurations, you know, combining this sort of mathematical exercise in slope and design arrangement and sort of form manipulation to deal with height limits and council restrictions, thinking about the physical access sort of in and up the site. And so it's been really important that I have an ability to visualise in three dimensions without needing to kind of test it or put it into the computer because you can't design everything inside a computer. I've watched people that are great at drawing, but they're not great at designing, really struggle and really botch that process of thinking about the three-dimensional relationship of a home's layout to a challenging site topography. Now, if you have difficult town planning legislation to deal with as well, then it's going to be critical that you have a professional who can help you decipher and navigate that more confidently. And as I mentioned in the last episodes, there's going to be some design professionals who are just not interested in coordinating the input of a town planner or, you know, reviewing your council legislation at a deep level to be able to then help sort of take hold your hand through understanding what's possible for the project. You know, sometimes you can find that a particular design strategy is actually going to help you reduce your approval time or even bypass, you know, part of the council approval process altogether. And so that pre-design strategic analysis by a design professional who understands all of that stuff, that can be so helpful in saving time and money in your project. So if you have a challenging site and you want that kind of strategic uh, understanding and help from the outset, then make sure that the design professional you're choosing has experience and expertise in being able to assist in that way. Now, another question to ask yourself is, will your intended project impact the functionality of your home? Again, this is kind of a renovation question. I think it's pretty fair to say that pretty much any renovation is going to impact the functionality of your home. Even adding a shed or a carport as a freestanding object can do that to the existing, it can impact the functionality of the existing home. 
But I see that, you know, they're seen as a simple job that anyone can do because it's separate to the house and so they, you know, can just get knocked up very easily. But what can then happen is where it's placed, how it's positioned, you know, what they those decisions, they can actually completely change the experience of the house and impact the site functionality overall as well. So your selection of a design professional, it it can be determined by how much your proposed work will impact the functionality of your home and therefore then the type of review and input that you want to access, you know, sort of that master planning approach. And you really want to work with somebody who's going to jump to helicopter view and think holistically about how the intended area that you're working on is going to drive the home's functionality overall. You know, even you, you might be in the weeds just thinking about that specific place. You want a design professional who's going to have a much more overarching view on things and some less experienced or less trained design professionals, they're going to stimp, they're just going to stay focused on that small area and in doing so not review whether your desired changes are going to impact other things in the home. And what can happen then is you can start this domino effect in the home, which sometimes doesn't get discovered until construction. And that can mean that the budget can then blow out as you discover these things in the moment, these things that you didn't realize, and then all of a sudden you have to fix. And, you know, that can be really challenging. And I know too, that on the other side of this, of course, there's homeowners that, you know, have complained about the fact that they've, they've, you know, experienced architects that they've got over to discuss just one particular area about and then the architect's gone away and proposed a design that just changes everything in the house and it ends up being a complete waste of time because the budget for all of that work was never there in the first place. So the homeowner feels then that they haven't been listened to and you know a bunch of time, money and effort has been wasted. So getting this right, it's it really about you being clear in your brief and your selection process with any potential designer, okay? And about finding a design professional who actually listens to you from the get-go. Now, what if you're wanting to do your project little by little across a number of stages? I find that there's homeowners, especially those who are renovating. They may start, for example, with needing a kitchen renovated, but they know that down the track, they're going to be doing bigger projects in the home. Now, in that case, I believe it's really worthwhile investing in good quality design help to get a master plan established for the overall project and a strategy then with how you're going to stage it so that you don't undo work as you move on to the next stage. Getting this type of master plan concept done, it can sometimes rearrange the order of the work that you're planning as well. And it can also be an asset if you decide to sell partway through your overall stage plans for the project, um, because then it can also show what's possible for your for your home to a future buyer. Now, if you want that flexibility to be able to sell partway through, then that's going to need to be part of the brief um, so that you know that with each stage, you're going to end up with a finished home rather than, you know, an ongoing construction site that you're just moving through the stages and still living in. So you may find that getting a great design professional to help with that overall design strategy and concept then means that you can execute the smaller stages with different help, such as a builder and a draftsperson. So stay tuned for info in this episode. I'm going to talk more a bit more about partial services, about how you can navigate that. Remember as well, these, you know, this and the previous episode, they're pretty chunky episodes. You can grab a full transcript of this episode by um, heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 210, that's the numbers 210. Um, so make sure you can do that. I've got links and resources there. You can grab it, save it off, print it out, and you've got it then to review back to later. All right, let's keep going. So 
what if all you want is help with drawing up something that you've already designed? That's all you want. Now, if you've been working on your way, you know, working away on your own design for a while and you've come up with something that you love and you don't think that it needs any changes, then my sub- sub- suggestion is to not go to an architect because what's going to happen is an architect is likely to take your design as an element of your brief and then interpret it with anything else that you're providing in your brief as well as their own study um, and assessment of your site and your needs uh, to then create uh, a design outcome. Now, this can be really frustrating for homeowners who feel that they've nailed it in their design and they were really just hoping for a bit of an audit process or perhaps some suggestions of improvement rather than a complete redesign. I find too that there are homeowners who will draw up their design and they'll feel that it works uh, and it's what they want, but yet when it gets put through a constructability and a floor plan review process by a design professional, it won't work. And this again can be frustrating for homeowners because they'll be expecting to see their design all drawn up or something that's very similar to it. And then their design professional just keeps showing them something different and they can't understand why they can't just have the one that they drew. Now, I've personally had homeowners bring me a design that they've drawn up I'm always really clear from the outset that I read it simply as part of their overall brief and that they um, should not be surprised if I present something very different. And, you know, I find that there's so many homeowners that head into their design process saying, I know what I want or I've already got a plan drawn up. And this is one of the reasons that I created my self-study online program, Home Design Masterclass, because I wanted to help homeowners learn how to actually design their floor plan. I found in all the designs that I was seeing that homeowners were doing that so many homeowners just weren't designing with the right room sizes, for example, or they didn't have circulation properly accommodated for, or there was uh, really inefficient, inefficient space design, or there was incorrect stair, lights, stair layouts, which can completely stuff a design up. Or the other big one is single lines for walls. And so that's always going to be really challenging to translate into a workable plan, whoever they're working with. And it can lead to a lot of disappointment when you feel like you've completely solved your own house design problem and you take it somewhere and they have to change and flex because you've done single lines, you don't have stairs working, you know, all those other things that I mentioned. So if you have drawn something up and you don't want, you know, any more ideas or changes to it, but you're purely looking for it to be tweaked and sort of audited generally and then turned into something that can be approved and built from, don't use an architect, okay? You're probably better served going to a building designer. Um, Depending on the level of design input that you want, you could even go to a draftsperson. If you just want it physically drawn, then just go straight to um, the draftsperson or even straight to the builder. However, if you have drawn something up, then ensure that you've actually explored all the possibilities for your project and your budget and be open to the fact that there might be other options that could better support your future lifestyle or achieve the ideas and the goals that you have for your home. You know, that design input from a design professional that comes up with another better solution, that may be a good thing to do and worthwhile exploring because after all, you know, once it's built, it's permanent. But if you have designed something and you're set on that being, then, you know, don't go to an architect and whoever you're working with, discuss the whole copyright issue. I've seen lots of homeowners take their design, it get drawn up, they've wanted to sever ties with whoever they're working with and then all of a sudden that professional owns the copyright to the design that they came up with in the first place. Now, 
Let's talk about partial services. Can you actually use an architect or another type of, of designer for partial services? I mentioned in the previous episode that it's really important to think about the scope of services that you need in your project. However, there are architects and other design professionals who will actually provide partial services and that can be helpful in expanding what's possible for your future home whilst managing the budget that you have for fees overall. Some homeowners I see may do this by working with an architect on their initial concept design um, and they'll get that overall design direction and layout set in place and then they'll continue with a lower cost draftsperson for any approval or construction documentation. Additionally, I see some homeowners do this to access the help and support of an architect or another designer that's remote to them, um, but that they particularly wanted to work with. And this is what happened when I was working with homeowners remotely. Um, and so partial services can be really useful, but there's a few things to know about them, whoever you're working with. One that's really important is that the design professional that you're working with knows that you're only planning on using them for part of the service because otherwise you may pay a penalty for leaving a full fee agreement early or you may find that they enforce their copyright over the design and actually prevent you from taking it elsewhere to continue the work with someone else. It's also important to ensure that you work with them to achieve a certain level of resolution on the design before you do take it somewhere else and that the design solution that they create is actually based on a real understanding of your site and your budget and your council conditions plus other constraints of your site. Now, sometimes I've seen homeowners use designers and architects for partial services and it's been treated as it's kind of a bit more of an informal casual interaction where on the, on the part of the design professional, there's not been a lot of due diligence on the site itself. And this is the thing, you know, if a designer's not having to see the project the whole way through, then of course, they're not going to be held as accountable for adherence to council requirements and other important elements because they're going to be long, long gone by the time you're having to navigate your town planning approvals or your construction. And additionally, if the feasibility of your design hasn't been tested, if you don't know that the budget is right or that, you know, the rates that you're working off isn't right, you might find that it's just not a helpful head start to be working with a designer on your project in this way. I've also seen issues where, for example, an architect has been hired for partial services in upfront design and they've they've actually said to the, the homeowner, you know, you, you should go and get soil tests, you should go and get a survey. But then the homeowner has made a call not to do these things because they feel that all they're doing at this point is exploring concepts and they want to delay the spend on those extra um, things that they need to do until they're working with the people who are actually going to be dealing with the physical construction and the documentation. And so what happens then is the architect creates a design proposal that's based on a budget that's given to them. And then they roll forward and, you know, a few months, you know, sometime the client's taken that design concept, they've gone to a draft person or, you know, a lower cost um, professional, they're discussing the project with a builder even, and then they start getting these soil tests and these surveys done. And they discover these issues with the site that directly impacts, for example, the kinds of footings that they need. And then that's going to cost more. And so that means that the design that's done in their initial concept, that that's not affordable anymore because so much construction budget's required to physically get the house out of the ground and it needs to be smaller or a different design. So there's a whole heap of frustration and disappointment for everyone in these types of scenarios. I hear them quite a lot. I hear architects swear that they won't do partial services anymore. And I hear clients feel that they've been duped into investing in a design that they can't afford to build 
or that's not feasible to build, you know, and the designer's not interested because they're long gone and, you know, it was just a concept design to begin the process. So there's going to be steps, as I said up, you know, earlier, there's going to be steps that you need to follow in any process. And if you're breaking your services up and those steps up between different people, then it's going to be important that you still have the right information at the outset because that information drives the design approach. It's really pointless designing inside a vacuum of due diligence and site information and it often leads to disappointment. Now, last but not least, there's the issue of the likelihood of a design professional to stay on budget. Uh, I actually have a much read blog that I've received a lot of criticism for. It's called Six Reasons to Not Use an Architect. (laughs) If you haven't read it, I'll pop a link in the resources and you can check it out. Now, most of the criticism I've received is from other architects who've just read the title, Six Reasons to Not Use an Architect, and they've not read the body of the blog itself. And they think then that I'm teaching, I'm an architect teaching other people to not use architects. Um, and there's this sort of unspoken law, like with lots of professions where, you know, inside the architectural industry, as architects, we should only be telling homeowners to use architects. Now, I'm always upfront about this with you. I don't have sufficient certainty around the professional performance of all architects for me to have the view that you should only use an architect for your project. Generally though, I do believe that a great architect will be better than a great version of any other design professional. But because I don't have sufficient certainty around the abilities of all architects and all design professionals to be frank with you, I would much rather teach you what to look for, the questions to ask, you know, how to understand great design and then empower you to make the best choice for yourself and your project. To me, that seems to be the only way for us to get certainty about you being in the best position possible to choose the right person for you. Now, the interesting thing about that blog post and when I wrote it is that the six reasons that I give in it to not use an architect Those reasons, they can and they do happen with any person that you're working with, you know, any design professional. It's not just limited to architects. One of the reasons that I do hear homeowners say that they don't want to use an architect is because they don't want to blow their budget. But architects are no more likely to blow your budget than any other design professionals. There are definitely arrogant architects out there. There are definitely architects who suck at communication, who override client wishes, who provide terrible services to their clients. I've also, though, heard similar stories about building designers, about interior designers, about draftspeople and about builders. No profession, no profession is immune from having someone in it doing a terrible job and getting away with it. And that's why it's so essential to get yourself informed, to learn about design to learn about your project journey and what's involved, to get an understanding of the steps that it's going to take to make your ideas and your dreams a reality and all of the pragmatic and logistical hoops that you're going to have to jump through along the way. Then don't assume, okay, that's the biggest tip in all of this. Don't assume that you can't afford an architect or that the only way that you can be on budget is to go straight to the builder. And don't assume that you aren't entitled to a great design outcome because your budget or project is on the smaller size. Instead, cast your net wide, okay? Consider all the options. Gather information, meet and connect with people, research them, their businesses and the way that they work really well. 
Look for the range of local professionals that you can access that are doing projects like yours. You know, start speaking to them. Ask them questions about how they work, about how they're going to help you and what their recommendations are to make your project a success. My general experience is that homeowners can try to rush their designer and their builder selection process. And in doing so, they don't get to know these team members sufficiently before committing to them financially. It's a really intimate relationship that you're going to build here where you need to be able to communicate comfortably and open and well. So you want someone who's going to proactively work with you, who's going to seek to establish a level of understanding of where you're at and then seek to meet you where your needs are at. Someone who's going to want to guide you through the process and educate you as they collaborate with you and explore what's possible. Red flags to look out for include poor communication, poor organisation skills, patronising language, you know, if you feel you're being intimidated or you feel you're not being listened to. And if they're not talking about budget or they're not helping you step through what it, what to expect when working with them, then they're also, you know, good red flags. If they're just trying to tie you into a long-term fee relationship without sharing much about how they're going to work with you, then that's also a good red flag. And I've got some other great podcast episodes and blogs that are going to shed more light on your early relationship with design professionals. So make sure you check out the resources to grab the links to those. In all the years that I've been doing this, there's something I know for sure. And this this especially applies to anyone wanting to build or renovate their existing home, but they're saying, you know, I don't want anything complicated. I don't need high level or super experienced help because what I want isn't that complicated. Great design, it involves the creation and unlocking of complete simplicity and efficiency achieved in a beautiful and functional way. I'm going to say that again. Great design involves the creation and unlocking of complete simplicity and efficiency achieved in a beautiful and functional way. And so not wanting something complicated, it usually requires a great design approach and a lot of skill to make it work. It's actually far easier to design something that is complicated. It is much harder to design something that is not complicated, that is simple and elegant in its results. And I also know that the peace and calm of your everyday life in your home is underpinned by this simplicity, this functionality and this elegance. So find someone to work with who can help you bring this to your future home. And that's it. Now, I know you may be disappointed that I've not given you a black and white way of making this selection for your project. However, when it comes to you, your home and your hopes and your dreams for the lifestyle that you hope it will help you lead, however big or small your project plans, it's simply not black and white. It is personal. You're dealing with people and so much of it is about the success of relationships built on trust and open communication. And those relationships, they can live and die on the training, the experience and the professionalism of the design professional that you're working with to appropriately support and guide you. So I do hope that you found this helpful and it gave you a framework to guide you through who the right person might be to assist in the design of your project, whether that's an architect, a building designer, an interior designer, a draftsperson or a builder. 
I've crammed a lot into these two episodes. So this is going to be when it's really helpful for you to grab the full transcript, uh, which is available for free on Undercover Architect's website. So for part one, head to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 209. That's 209. And then for part two, you'll get that at www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 210. The number's 210. They're there as PDFs, uh, downloads, and you'll also find all of the resources and links to blogs and other podcasts and all good things that I have mentioned in this episode and the previous episode as well. Please share this podcast episode with family, friends, colleagues, even strangers, basically anyone that you know it may help so that we can get this information and knowledge into the ears and hands of as many homeowners as possible and improve their experience of designing, building and renovating their family homes. I love hearing the stories of those who found this podcast thanks to the generosity of another listener. It is just awesome. Now, if you haven't left a review on the Undercover Architect podcast, especially if you listen on iTunes, I would be so grateful if you please could. It really makes a difference in enabling this podcast to reach others that it can help. And it also ensures that I can continue to grow the podcast and get amazing guests and information on here as well. Be sure to tune in for our next episode, which lands each Tuesday morning to access helpful information and education in your project journey so that you can get it right as you design, build or renovate your family home. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye.